Right. So thanks for those WhatsApp voice notes. Yeah, it's certainly a conversation that we've done it before, but I think there's absolutely room to do it again. You can never have a conversation like that enough. And on the issue of the basic education department, yes, the minister did say um, that her department is not responsible for administering the vaccines. That is a project of the National Health Department. I don't know if she said that they wouldn't be on school premises. Uh, I'll just need to go back to to uh, to listen to that clip uh, for clarity. But she said um, it's it's certainly something that is administered through the Department of Health. Well, let's get into our conversation for this hour then, and we're looking at the. Social Relief of Distress Grant, that's the 350 Rand. There now calls for this amount to be extended. We know that it is uh, scheduled to uh, come to an end in a couple of months, I think around March, um, if, if I'm not mistaken. And right now, there is no clarity on what will happen next. So come end of March, are we going to see an extension of the Social Relief of Distress Grant? Or are we going to see an introduction of a basic income grant? Or will there be nothing there? Because that could well be a likelihood. It doesn't seem to be the case, but it could well be uh, a likelihood. Let me welcome onto the show uh, Leon Lowe. He's the president of the Free Market Foundation. Mr. Lowe, good morning. Good morning to you and the listeners. Very my, my honor to be with you. And Nathan Taylor is uh, with activists for the hashtag Pay the Grants Civic Grants campaign. Uh, Nathan, good morning to you. Morning, Kathy. Uh, good morning, Leon. And, and Hi, morning, Nathan. Nathan, I'm just going to ask you just to maybe speak a bit louder because uh, I'm, I'm struggling to pick uh, to pick you up clearly on, on, on my end, but I'm sure it'll get better as uh, the conversation progresses. So as we have this conversation, I see the Business Day uh, today running a story about um, the President's Economic Advisory Council that is, has effectively... Um, you know, echoed the sentiment of the finance minister against the unintended consequences of a basic income grant. So there are lots of conversations and debates on what should the government do. Should they pay a basic income grant? Should they increase a social relief of distress grant? Uh, Leon, as far as you're concerned, do you think that there's even room to have a conversation that says, well, what if there's nothing at all? Yes, uh, well, firstly, let me say I think any decent and normal human being cares desperately about the poor in South Africa, and I spend uh, most of my time working with the poorest communities, and so I see it. I I, I sit and talk to people in shanty towns, uh, people, these recyclers who live in boxes and pieces of plastic. So that is my work. So let's be very clear that Uh, It's not about compassion, and it's not about caring for the poor. We all do that. All normal, decent human beings do that. What the issue is, what to do about it. Now, note that this whole conversation is an assumption that's a given. The poor are there, the unemployed are there, and all we have to do now is decide how much to give them. No, this is back to front. 
what we have to do is stop them being poor. We have to stop them being unemployed. And you do that in a very simple way. You look around the world and you see which countries have high living standards, high growth, prosperity, wealth, and full employment. And you say, let's copy those policies. Those policies are very straightforward. They're free market policies. The countries that uh, deregulate, privatize, liberalize, open up international borders for trade and even movement of people, these are the ones that are rich. So we need to discontinue causing poverty. We need to stop causing it. Uh, That is the important thing, and that is not part of the conversation, which is really quite extraordinary. There's an assumption that people have to be poor and have to be unemployed. What do we do to help them? And, of course, if that's the case, we all decent, normal human beings want to help them. Uh, But the best way to help them is to stop them being unemployed and poor. And uh, there's only one way to do that. Only one system has ever produced that in the world, uh, which is basically a free or relatively free economy. And that's empirically now not even debatable anymore. You can't have an informed debate anymore because the evidence is completely overwhelming. Uh, and, And so that's where we should start. But let me make the other point, which is important. Uh, if, if we have a government at all, one of the things it should be doing is caring about the truly needy and, you know, running police and courts and other things. Now, uh, this amount being spoken of here for the number of people being spoken of is less than one and a half percent of the budget. In other words, it's nothing. It's, it's actually not a relevant expenditure. And when anyone says it's unsustainable, I don't know what they're talking about. What does that mean? Of course, it's sustainable. But it's a tiny amount of money compared to what the government spends every year. And, and so it's easy and cheap, but it's not the solution. The solution is not to have the need in the first place. Mm. And, and, and I, I understand, um, Mr. Lowe, part of where you are trying to steer the conversation to, it's about, you know, the broader state of the economy and how do we move South Africa out of, you know, the current drag that it is in and, and open up space so that uh, to stimulate some level of economic growth. I suppose the context that we're dealing with right now is of a country that is sitting with a very high unemployment rate and where decisions need to be made in the more immediate future about what the year 2022 looks like for those who already find themselves unemployed, for those who already find themselves poor. And certainly I don't think the assumption is that they must always be poor people amongst us. I think that's not the wish, that's not the desire that the majority of South Africans would want to have. But despite that, this is where we are, you know. This is the situation that we find ourselves in. And what are the what is the best response to the situation? Yes, Kathy, uh, thank you and the listeners and, and Nathan. Uh, my view is quite simple, and, and it's not my view. It's just a fact. This is not an opinion. It's a fact. Those people we call unemployed are, in fact, employed. They're employed in crime and begging and the informal sector. And info- crime, you must remember, is employment. You know, I don't like that book, but that's what it is. They're begging, and, of course, the big informal sector. Now, the informal sector, which is the sector with which I work, street traders and backyard operators and peasant farmers and so on, the Joburg City Council, drove 
7,000 informal traders off the streets with dogs and horses and guns. Cruel beyond conception, Joburg City Council. Uh, I was instrumental to going to the Constitutional Court, which says that they have to allow them back. A unanimous decision made within two weeks. Unbelievable. It's never been done before. Now, the point is, we are criminalizing employment. We make it illegal. It's a criminal offense. And we drive the people who are trying to earn a decent, honest, safe living into crime and into destitution and poverty. So what you can do literally next week is remove all the regulations and controls on informal economic activity, including informal employment. Scrap them. Suspend them, even as a temporary emergency measure while you discuss what to do in the future, then literally within months, people will have jobs and incomes that are lawful. At the moment, they are driven into the underground economy, uh, which unfortunately, uh, you know, it has, uh, it's called the black market, which is obviously not a good word for it. So let's call it the underground. And, uh, and, and this is what we do. Our government and our policymakers and I'm afraid civil society and even the business community want these people driven into destitution, poverty and misery. We must stop doing that. That is what we must do. Now, my colleague Eustace Davy has come up, I think, with a brilliant idea which every decent human being should support which is to say we need a job seeker's exemption certificate. Everyone seeking a job should get a certificate from the Department of Labor saying this person may take whatever job they wish. We forget about the employers, forget about the unions, forget about the people with a job. Think about the people without a job. And what you say is that anyone without a job can take any job they like. Trust them. They know better than you and me what job to take. And, uh, and that can be self-employment and it can be the employment by someone else. And we must discontinue. In fact, it should be, there should be riots and demonstrations. Uh, Mr. Mr. Law, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to come work. in there. Um, Leon, yes. I don't know if you can hear me, but we're having a bit of a difficulty with your line as well. Oh. Uh, I'm not sure if, you, if you're moving around at all, but it keeps uh, cutting in in some places. Uh, so if you can just try and look into that for us. Uh, Nathan, let me come to you and, and perhaps give you a chance. Um, to speak on this issue on behalf of the hashtag pay the grants uh, civic grants campaign um, thanks Kathy um, so I, I don't want to treat this interview as a debate because myself and Leon we, we're going to have very different world views here we, we're both going to say what we think is not just our view but it's a fact and yet we both have very opposed facts um, like, I mean, we could spend probably days even just arguing about the idea of what makes a successful economy and how uh, liberalization of trade policies comes into that. Um, so I'm not going to pretend we we have an easy bridge here, but I think mainly, definitely, if we're just talking about the present moment, obviously a... It, it really, the option is, are we extending the SRD or mm. is there nothing? Mm. Uh, realistically speaking, you wouldn't be looking at the BIG come Sona or the budget speech. You didn't need the 
President uh, Economic Advisory Council to point that out. Um, because the kind of just the policy process, the taxation, the kind of different things that have to come into effect, it is a longer term thing. Um, there's ways that can be it can be fast tracked, but looking at kind of like the February March timeline, we we are very aware that at the moment the SID is the only alternative we can look at. It's something we already have in place. It is something that while has a numerous amount of issues that we still need to work on, it has been rolled out to a huge number of people incredibly rapidly under incredibly stressful environment and constraints. Um, so when we're looking at the budget speech for SONA, more preferably, uh, we, we do hope very strongly to see an extension of the SRD announced. And, well, yes, we can talk about it as a... As how Leon says, it's just decent uh, moral people when you look at the situation that millions of people are in. But also practically, you just don't have another option. Um, I, I mean, from the activism sphere, you are very often uh, tempted or called upon to make moral arguments of the moral injustice and uh, the obligation to do something. But uh, this far into the post-apartheid state, um, you get a bit tired of expecting the moral choice. Mm. Um, it would have been moral to extend the SID in the first iteration the third time, except they cancelled. And, well, we can look at the July arrests as linked to larger political um, firewood. Uh, the fact that there was an amount of desperation, you cannot extract that from the situation. So I don't think government decisions get made very much on a moral basis. They may claim it, and they may try and enjoy it, but I don't expect that. But quite practically speaking, we just don't have another option. And it's really... So that's the, obviously, the, the one danger is when you talk about social protection, you talk about the SRD, or you talk about the basic income... Um, especially in the South African context, uh, you, you get painted as you're against jobs, you, you're anti-job creation. And that, that is, I mean, it's a constant one. You, you can see it in the normal conversation of civil society, and you can see that argument being made by officials. Um, but obviously it's just not true. What we're against is a, a contextual recognition of where we are. Um, and, and I don't think Leon would disagree with me on this. When we're looking at 2022, there is no job creation solution. There, there is none. So the funny thing about the, uh, what the PEC's report for SONA is, um, obviously it's centered directly on, on the dangers of social protection, extensions, of mm. looking at larger grants. But there's a complete absence of recognizing where we are right now. What happens in March if it's not extended, the SRD? Because we just do not have any option on the table that can create that amount of jobs that quickly. I mean, by now, I think, well, by 2020, um, where were we supposed to be? By the NDP, we were supposed to 
be at 14% unemployment with 18.9 million jobs created extra. We've so far missed that mark. It's, it's unbelievable. We, we're in an incredibly dangerous situation. And the problem is, A, we need to respond to the problems we have right now, the crisis we have right now, and it's income deprivation. Um, when you talk about who are the poorest, it's people without assets, it's people without money, it's people who cannot buy food. So how do you solve that? The problem is you can't just make a job magically appear. So you have to look at that as an immediate problem to solve. But also in the longer term, um, there is room to understand it as a permanent solution. The the problem is when you, I think it definitely, look, you can make a policy for a big that is terrible. I'm not going to deny that. You can make a policy for anything that's terrible. But I don't think the inherent intention and outcome of basic income is to placate poverty, to sure. have it remain, mm. but just have it exist. Nathan, the idea behind to... big is to empower people to lift themselves out of it. Nathan, I'm going, you, I'm, I'm going to Sorry. give you a chance to, to continue with those thoughts. Of course, we will continue this conversation. It's 10.30. Luyanda Maume has your headlines. SAFM 104 to 107 nationwide. Leading the conversation. Hashtag SAFM Talking Point. We continue the conversation this morning on the talking point and we're discussing uh, the extension, the call for the extension of the social relief of distress grant. Uh, that's the 350. Of course, this conversation takes place in the midst of the raging debate about a basic income grant. Uh, you can be part of this conversation on 011-714-2006 on the WhatsApp line on 614 and on Twitter, it's at SFM Radio, the hashtag there, SFM Talking Point. Joining us for this conversation today, Leon Lowe, who is the president of the Free Market Foundation, and Nathan Taylor, who is uh, an activist with the hashtag Pay the Grants campaign. Uh, so, Nathan, sorry, I had to cut you off there as we were headed towards the headlines. But you, you were basically making a point, and I think you ask an important question about what happens if the social relief of distress grant is not extended. And perhaps from the research that you as the activists under this campaign have been conducting, what does happen in the absence of this 350? Uh, thanks, Kathy. Um, I don't think it takes research. I, I don't think it takes a genius. I don't think it takes a policy advisor. Um, I think all it takes is a pair of open eyes. We've seen one. We... <laughs> If you look at the level of poverty, especially if you factor in the food price inflation for 2022, um, just the general uh, rise of living costs, the amount of people below the food poverty line, the amount of people who do not have enough money to actually even get the, the basic amount of kilojoules needed per month to survive. Um, you have so many million people that now just cannot survive. And the real question you just got to ask yourself is what happens to those people? Uh, and the problem is when you get a kind of policymaker that pretends that that goes away, uh, that you can take 10 million people and pretend they don't exist 
until these jobs arrive in the next 10 years. As long as you can pretend that a huge portion of our country just doesn't exist, you don't have to think about what actually happens. Not only the amount of suffering, but the amount of civil unrest, breakdown in social cohesion. Um, as you pointed out, the amount of crime that you probably are going to see completely right. Crime isn't, uh, is employment. And we do have very, um, kind of like very aggressive policies against kind of like informal trading and just the informal market space. Um, so I don't, I don't think it takes research. But I also, I don't think, maybe it's a good question to be on, I don't think we probably have disagreement over whether the SRD should be extended this year or not. I, I think we probably are a part of that. All right. Let me give Leon a, a, a chance to come in here. Leon? Yes, I, I think uh, Nathan's right about the issues we agree on, which may be very few. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure what facts that our society would disagree with. The fact is that liberalized economies, whether it's in Africa or anywhere, all grow immediately, very quickly, and create jobs. But the thing that we can do immediately and urgently, next week, next month, is to decriminalize employment, including self-employment. Now, the, the fact is that we have criminalized it. It is, it is unlawful uh, to run a backyard mechanics operation in a residential property, for example. It is unlawful to live in a tin shack, in a tin shanty, in a shanty town of which we have four million or so households. So... I would say the thing we can do immediately that will have immediate consequences, and I hope at least Nathan would agree with this, is, that, is to decriminalize, remove barriers, remove obstacles to people being employed and self-employed. And if we do that, uh, he and I might disagree on how quickly people will gain jobs and employment. Mm. Uh, but I, I presume he would agree with that as a, as a fundamental human uh, thing to consider. Now, I do want to make the point, very, very important, is these people are not unemployed. They are not failing to earn incomes. They are doing it in the criminalized sector, the so-called unemployment sector. Now, anyone who goes into any of these impoverished areas, and I would happily take anyone who wants to go and have a look, will see that they are extremely enterprising. Businesses are on the go all the time. People are building and making things and fixing phones and doing tailoring and so on and so forth, all illegally and unlawfully. Now, the, the obvious thing to do is to decriminalize decent, honest, peaceful, safe uh, people who look after themselves. Now, I can't see why anyone is against that. Uh, I have no problem with helping people who are in states of emergency. I do it myself. I presume every uh, normal human being does, and I want that done, and it's a very, very small percentage of the budget. Let's get that clear. It's nothing. It's nothing compared to the $1.7 trillion spent every year. It's less than 1% that you would need. So I don't have a problem with that. What I do have a problem with is that we continue causing the problem. We continue, you could you just discontinue poverty. You don't have to have it. it. just And it can be done very, very quickly. Literally within months, you could see the economy booming and you could see all of these underground business activities and employment activities becoming visible and lawful, people being able to market and employ and, and 
and and let them emerge from the shadows into the into the world of freedom and prosperity and dignity. So, Leon, when you talk about having less regulations, especially around the informal sector, we've heard government talk about that consistently over the past year. Are you saying that none of the commitments that have been made to ease regulations, that those have, have been done or that they haven't had uh, as, as great an impact as you think they should? Thank you, Kathy. That is an absolutely fundamental and important question. It's not the last year. This has been going on since uh, 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 Thabo Mbeki was the, was the president. Every Zuma, look at every state of the any state of the nation report. Every budget you will see, every ministerial budget, they talk about removing obstacles year after year after year. They they always promise it, and it has never happened. On the contrary, when the Sona is presented this coming sona in parliament will be a whole lot of laws that are making things worse doing the opposite uh, let me give you one simple example okay b- 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 before you give yeah. me that example leon yeah. let me yeah. take a quick yeah. break and then we'll come back with it okay safm leading the conversation the talking point with kathy motlasana weekdays 9 a.m till midday we continue the conversation on the talking point. I'm seeing your voice notes that you've been sending through on this conversation and we'll certainly get to them. And I'll also be taking your calls on 11 714 uh, So, Leon, you, you wanted to give an example of the lack of action when it comes to deregulation, particularly of uh, the informal trade sector. Yes, liberalisation, so-called, and, and removing red tape has been promised every year for at least the last 15 to 20 years, every year. It has never happened. None of it has ever happened. In fact, while the ministers are giving their budget speeches and the SONA is taking place, Parliament is cluttered and every provincial council, every municipality with laws that do exactly the opposite. For example, as we speak, the Joburg City Council has a new street trading draft bylaw. It will make it extremely difficult, if not impossible, for people to earn a living by street trading. Now, when I say what's wrong with street trading, nobody ever says to me that they trade. They say they're illegal and they support crime and they sell drugs and they litter and obstruct pedestrians. Deal with that. (laughs) Trading should be considered a virtue wherever it happens. And And then right now, sorry, one other quick example. In Parliament is a draft law to amend the Upgrading of Title uh, Act, ULTRA, and what it says is that four to, four to eight million South African households who own their property, poor black people, they are meant to get title deeds. There's a law before Parliament saying, no, they won't get title deeds. In other words, causing landlessness on a scale that Favut would have been proud of, that he would have had a fantasy about. He would have had a wet dream at the thought of what is now happening in our parliament in the new South Africa against black South Africans' land dispossession on an unprecedented scale that never happened during apartheid. Now, that is what they do, in fact, when they talk about liberalizing, removing red tape. They actually, while they are talking about it, they are doing the opposite. 
Um, I'm going to open up the phone lines. Before I do that, Nathan, I wanted to check if there's uh, anything you want to add before we bring in the, the voices of our listeners. Thanks, Kathy. Uh, I'll keep it brief, but I think just what Leon is saying, it provides a really great example of why these are complementary goods. Um, I agree with him when he says we shouldn't be continuing the problem of poverty. We shouldn't be trying to just continue its existence. Um, but I don't think an investment in the SRD, as well as the basic income beyond the SRD, is a part of the continuing that problem. I think it can be a part of continuing a solution. And what Leon is putting forward actually can so easily create that example because we've already seen, even despite the kind of regulation against it, we've seen some of the successes, despite the small amount of the SRT at 350 rand of what people have been able to do with it. So if you take Leon's idea of why don't you deregulate the informal economy proper, mm. properly when you look at the difficulties of getting trading licenses, when you look at um, issues of informal residences, when you just look at the amount of issues there, it, I can completely agree with that. But if you had to deregulate or if you had to remove those barriers to entry to self-employment, to uh, micro-enterprises, what you also can do is if you had the SRG and you had to, especially if you actually had to raise it, what you're providing is capital. You're providing an ability to enter that market. And obviously, it's not that it's just simply not there at all. It's not that no one can enter the market because there's just no capital. But if you had to provide it with direct cash injections, what you're doing, you can create a beautiful complementary package where you're both lowering the barriers and you're also raising the ability to enter. So I think that creates a beautiful example of why social grants and job creation are so far from being antagonistic to each other. They can actually be made amazingly. And the biggest problem that I think probably would agree with me is when people make, when officials especially make that argument of we need jobs, not grants, but then you see their policies for job creation, you realize they're actually not serious about job creation either. So that's why I see many of the problem with that sense. But I do think there are amazing ways for complementary, a, co- a cohesive package between these kinds of policies. Um, yeah, so I would just add that. Thank okay. you. Th- thanks for that, Nathan. Let me go to Mike in Middleburg. Mike, good morning. Morning, Katie and your guest, and thanks for taking my call. Yes. Yes, Katie. Uh, I'm one of those who agree that uh, if really we can put what we have into use optimally, we can amass adequate resources, you know, to afford a basic income grant. Uh, But also to me, the low-hanging fruit is uh, ending corruption. Because if you were to check uh, how much money or resources we lose out of corruption, really we can can amass uh, more than enough in that regard. Uh, But my parting shot, Katie, also... I think uh, the good decisions that are there, you know, the reports in different government departments about um, ending red tape, removing obstacles, 
maybe let us find a way. I wonder what your guests uh, can say. What is their advice really to put uh, these good decisions into effect? What can they say? Mm. All right, Mike, let's leave it there. And just on the issue of, of, of corruption, you know, somebody on the WhatsApp line was making the point earlier that when you look at how much money has been lost, even just over the past, over that investigation into the PPE contracts, when you look at the irregular expenditure there, and if that money had been spent towards something like the Social Relief of Distress Grant, um, we wouldn't be having this conversation. So uh, they're basically saying it's not that we don't have the money. It's that the money is being used effectively for other purposes, corruption, not least of them. Um, Denzel, good morning to you. Good morning, Kathy, man. Thank you for, for giving me a chance, man. Thank you. Uh, I'm listening here, man. You know what, uh, Kathy? I'm here from, from the Northwest. I, I think the best solution here in South Africa for us to live a better life they must do something about our constitution. You know, the constitution is binding everyone here. Everyone has got the right. I think they must rewrite the constitution. Then everything will come right in. Because we are part of the problem, not part of the solution. There's always promises that have been made. People are getting arrested for corruption and everything. They must make laws. You know, in the apartheid time, there was laws that regulate everything. If you do something wrong, you're going to be punished. That's why people are flocking from other countries to South Africa, because here everything is so easy. They get everything so easily, the site. You know, when a visitor comes to your place, when a visitor comes to your place. Denzel, just hang on for me. Um, I want to have an opportunity to, to really try and understand what you're saying. Let me take this break. We'll continue with you after this. Conversations that you connect with and react to. SAFM. Kathy Mosasana on SAFM. We continue the conversation on the talking point. So, Denzel, you're on the line from Northwest, and you were saying that we need to change the Constitution because somehow that is contributing to the problems that we have and that there's no, there's really lawlessness, if I understand what you're saying correctly. Yes, yes, exactly, exactly. Because when when the constitution was uh, uh, draft, the the population was not like it is now. Life is more faster than it was those days. They must, if they want to solve everything here in South Africa, South Africa is a very rich and a, a, a good country. You know, if they can change the constitution, everything will come. Ch- right. Change really. it how, Denzel? Change it how? There's, there's, there's laws. Look at how, how uh, for instance, the, 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 they, they, they protect the, 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 our constitution is protecting the criminals. The law-abiding citizens is always the last ones to be, be attended. No, really. that, that, that can't be true, Denzel. That can't be true. The constitution is. is there to ensure that you, as an individual, as a citizen of this country have rights that are owed to you. It guarantees those rights. Can I, can I just make an example to you? You know, the Johannesburg people uh, uh, was marching for this drug that the Nigerians is selling to our kids here in South Africa. Mm-hmm. What happened when the police want to do their job? What happened? They fought with the police. 
and the Human Rights Commission came in and they said they've got a right, they, can, they cannot be. And we are suffering. Our children are going for drugs nowadays now. Every, each and every corner, somebody just doing what he wants. Yeah. There's no law in South Africa. D- Denzel, now the Constitution uh, is the thing that protects the people. That's why I say if they can amend some things in the, uh, and take some things out of the Constitution and adjust it uh, according that the life is now today in South Africa. Okay, can Denzel, make some adjustments. Let's, let's leave it there for this morning. I think you're steering us in, in a completely different direction. But the reality is that everybody has rights, even the person that um, is accused of, of, of crime. That individual has rights as well. And if we have an issue with the way in which the different things happening in our society, part of that responsibility should lay should lie at the very door of the the same police that that you mentioned um but it cannot be an excuse for why we deprive people of their rights fanyana good morning hi Kathy. you know i share most of the sentiment stands out just right now you know Kathy, i pray that you know many people wake up to see the true picture that anc had placed many in the west living conditions ever than both apartheid and English government before 1994, Kathy. Day in, day out. Elections in and elections out, Kathy. ANC is immorally and passionately placing our people below poverty levels so that these unfortunately morally balanced people continually vote for ANC. Kathy, it pains me to say this. In good apartheid, apartheid days, both in the townships I grew up at, so we to and cut the home. We had factories to upskill those who struggle in classrooms and those whom their parents couldn't afford to take them to school. Why did ANC why did ANC cut out funding for this for those factories after 1994? Why is it that ANC believes so much in incapacitating its citizens and then think by giving them grants they will be empowered? It's a complete fallacy and heartbreaking cafe. Unemployment, I agree with your guest. Unemployment must be a crime against humanity. Lastly, Kathy, I'm honestly and truly praying that one day ANC falls and someone like Mashaba saves this country and introduce programs that they have made after 1998, Vugus and Zella programs and more. I'm sure then people will be, will be empowered and then the unemployment rate will drop. And these useless, I must say, useless grants will be a thing of the past because grants are just not sustainable. Thank okay. you, all right, Fanyana, let's leave it there. Fanyana out in Randburg. Okay, we don't have much time left for this conversation. So, Leon, I'm going to begin with you. You have around a minute uh, just to weigh in on some of the things that our listeners were saying and uh, the specific question perhaps that Mike had asked. Thank you, Cathy. I'm very encouraged to heard from your listeners with some interesting points. Uh, Denzel, I would love to have a private conversation with about what's going wrong. And I would just point out that we have these roadblocks all over the country of police stopping and causing congestion and stopping innocent people the way we did under apartheid with the past laws. Innocent people going down the road get stopped and asked for, in the old days, a pass now to driver's license. And uh, this, these are police who ought to be fighting crime. I mean, what are they doing 
harassing the country's most innocent and safe and decent people to and from work and so on. They should be out there dealing with crime. And I, in that sense, I uh, agree with Denzel that it's, uh, that it's a failure. The, last, the, the, the next point to make is really very important, that it's not just the informal sector that has to be liberalized. It's the entire economy. You know, for example, if you want to bring money into the country to invest here, it is extremely difficult. The Reserve Bank makes your life a nightmare. Now, what do you do if you're a wealthy person who wants to invest? You go somewhere that welcomes you. You put your money elsewhere. You create jobs there. You create wealth there. So what we have to do is say our entire economy should have a paradigm, a principle. You know, if we have a President's Advisory Council, have a new one that says, what are the obstacles to being a rich country? Remove them. <laughs> you know, everything that stops us being rich, remove it or liberalize it or, or relax it. Uh, and, you know, the, then uh, the, the world's experience shows that immediately in China and India and Rwanda and Mauritius and various African countries, now the highest growth region of the world, by the way, is sub-Saharan Africa, our part of the world, except us. And what you do is within months of these measures, like in Rwanda, Leon? the economy <laughs> takes off like a rocket. Your, ma- your minute is, is up. Unfortunately, Sorry. I'm going to have to leave it there with you. Nathan. Okay. Um, thanks, Kathy. And yeah, so Leon, I think obviously that's where we would end up debating our days away, about the systemic liberalization and what happens to countries who do that. Uh, but that's for another day. Um, I th- look, I think for here we agree that the, the social relief of distress grant there really isn't another alternative at the moment. But I do believe we do need to think beyond that. We need to think beyond in, in terms of complementary job policies, in terms of beyond job creation itself. There, there's so much that can be said. So we will leave it for another day. But when we look at the SID, it needs to continue. Um, and when we look at those kind of policies, how do they come into play? You don't leave it behind doors. Um, what the first commentator was saying about these kind of red tape issues and that they've been long-standing, how do you actually get them improved? And it's, it is really difficult, and you shouldn't expect it to happen. But you have to find ways to make it happen, and it doesn't happen behind doors. There, there is a level of abstract thinking to the policymaking that happens in silent, siloed places that is incredibly terrifying. The idea that the President's Economic Advisory Committee could counsel, could even write that report and not mention one thing about the current poverty that will persist beyond the end of the SRD while jobs wait to arrive is terrifying. Um, if you want a simple example for the informal traders, uh, mobilization and advocacy works very well. CITA, African Informal Traders Alliance, are currently running a campaign for employment. I would suggest supporting them and finding ways to combine that advocacy. All right. Um, Nathan? Yeah. We'll have to leave it there. Unfortunately, we're completely out of time. Nathan Taylor is with the hashtag Pay the Grants campaign. Leon Lowe is with the Free Free Market Foundation. Um, It's a minute after 11 o'clock. Luanda has your latest news.